Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always by Barnabas Piper. And Pipe, we have the privilege, uh, again, since it's the fall, of uh, of launching another special app, man. A, a special NFL preview show. Uh, you are a huge Vikings fan. I'm a huge fan of uh, pro football in general. So uh, it's fun to, to kind of take a deep dive into this. So grab a cup of Ligaris Roasters Happy Rant Signature Blend. Uh, if you haven't done so, go to happyrantpodcast.com. Order yourself a bag of the best coffee on the planet and uh, sit back and enjoy a little football talk, Pipe. This is, uh, this is great escapism for me from real life. So I, I uh, always count on football to do that. And this, this year is no different. And I'm going to start us off with a huge story. Um, this is the story that's kind of dominated all the headlines. People are either really intrigued by it, like I am, or people are, there are probably people who are sick of it. Um, so that's fair as well. But Pipe, we live in an NFL universe where Chad Henney is going to be a starting quarterback. Brian Hoyer is going to be a starting quarterback. Um, Tyrod Taylor, you can kind of go either way on him. Whoever the Jets roll out there is a starting quarterback. And can, yeah, can you even name the, the competitors for the Jets? I can name uh, a couple of them. Bryce Petty, Christian Hackenberg. These are two names that is there a McCown on that team or Kellen Moore. Like I feel like there's there's one of those other career backup guys. Dude, right? there is a McCown, and I think it's even the older McCown. It's the one that looks like Ivan Drago. I think is it's that Luke. Josh or Luke. I think Luke's it's Luke. The, Luke's the blonder one, I think. Luke's the blonder one. He's got to be forty years old, pipe, and he was never ever anything but a, a serviceable backup. And I think it's Tankapalooza in New York. But but still, that being said. That's the NFL world we live in, and yet Colin Kaepernick um, started in a Super Bowl, uh, was a star player in the league for a couple of years, sits unemployed. Uh, I want to ask you this. I guess in general, what do you make of that whole situation, and then what do you see as some natural fits for him? Like, where do you see him playing? Yeah, I, <clears throat> I think there you get the two extreme sides where some people will only focus on his play in recent years, you know, and in recent years, he hasn't been as good. I think a lot of that's because of coaching when he was under Harbaugh, he Harbaugh put him in a position to be really, really good, you know, using his mobility, you know, kind of limiting his throws to the things he's good at uh, strong running game, all of that. Uh, And then he went and then he was coached by just a whole bunch of garbage coaches in San Francisco. Right. Um, So you get people who are like, he's just not good enough. And that's why he hasn't been signed. And then on the other side, you have people who are, I would say, maybe a little bit more conspiracy theorists or like there's collusion amongst the owners. Mm -hmm. Um, I I can't imagine that's the case. Uh, It's I think it's. I I will say that I do think there is a racial component to this because his protesting has a racial component to it. And the vast majority of owners are rich old white guys. So there's very likely a racial component that's hard to measure. I don't think it's collusion as much as peer pressure. You know what I mean? So you don't want to be one of the 32 rich old white guys to hire Colin Kaepernick, I guess. Maybe there's pressure in that room. And the statement that I've heard from a number of thoughtful people who cover the NFL is, if you're a good enough player, you can be as much of a distraction as you want to be. Right. If you're a subpar player... You don't have the leash. And at this point, he's a subpar quarterback. Now, he's better than everybody you just listed. He should be starting on probably four to six teams. Sure. Um, 
you know, unless, of course, like the Jets or the Browns, they're just sort of tanking at the quarterback position to get a draft pick. Right. Um, but even so, he's plenty good enough. But, I mean, you're still talking bottom five starting quarterback, top five backup kind of guy. Yeah. Is that worth the distraction? I I think it is because I think I think the distraction would go away yes. if he could just play. And I also think his upside is much higher than anybody who we've listed. And yes. also, I think his upside is higher than— you know, a lot of the kind of mid-grade starters around the league. You know, this I, yeah, a- I would say this: if you if you put him on Kansas City right now, Alex mm-hmm. Smith is a perfectly middle-tier, serviceable quarterback who's one of the safest guys in the league. Absolutely, he will never win you a game. He just won't Check lose down you Charlie. Any games. You know, he's going to take yeah. the safe throw. He's going to protect the ball, which I like. You know, no disrespect to right. Alex Smith at all, but um, as far as you know, some of the transcendent type skills to push the ball down the field and keep drives, you know, kind of alive with his legs. Those are things that we've seen from Colin Kaepernick. And, you know, the, the Tim Tebow kind of non sequitur doesn't hold up to me because Tebow was never a guy who really showed the skills to to play that that position at a high level. So well, and he, Kaepernick- he came with a completely different kind of distraction. Yeah, and Kaepernick's a bit of an erratic thrower, but he's a thrower and right. Tebow... Tebow can't throw like he's just yeah. a creeps a crap passer. So, right, right. yeah, I, I think I, I wish he could get a job. I, for me, it makes zero sense why Miami and Jacksonville did not sign him. Now, Cutler, I can see the argument there because of his history with Adam Gase. Yeah. But everybody knows who Jay Cutler is. Sure. He is. He's just he, he's not going to win you any games either. And he'll lose you a bunch. Yeah. Um, and Jacksonville's a disaster. They have a playoff roster. <laughs> And a bottom three quarterback. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, they're going to go into the season starting Chad Henney, which is fascinating. Um, Yeah, I I don't get it, Pipe. And even teams, you know, I look at a team that I like in Indianapolis. Um, The Colts are going into the season with a banged up uh, franchise quarterback in Andrew Luck. And for years and years, for decades, that team has never had a serviceable or even remotely interesting backup quarterback. Um, Jim Sorge is offended. Oh, Jim Sorge. Yeah. I mean, they, they run out a litany of these kind of limited Wisconsin <laughs> type backup guys. What do they have now? Scott Tolzien. Is that who Scott it is? Scott Tolzien. Yeah. And again, no disrespect to Scott, to Scott Tolzien, but you know, again, you've got a borderline playoff roster there. You've got at least a team that can, cont- could contend for a, a weak division and you're going to roll out Scott Tolzien. Yeah. I don't know, man. I just don't like it. And um, I, I agree with you, Pipe. I think I think this protest behavior is also becoming so kind of dispersed amongst all the teams in the league in that every team has guys who are, you know, kneeling during the national anthem now. Um, I think if Cap were to sign, especially if Cap were to find himself in a place where he got some very savvy kind of PR coaching, um, the volume would would come down on this issue, and some team may have a, a quarterback with a little bit of upside. I I do think there's something to be said for his personality being an issue, and not the protesting side. Like I think yeah. from from everything I've heard and read, he he protested, and he has backed it up with his actions in terms of donating money to various oh, yeah. causes, things like that. But just like as a teammate, uh, 
from from listening to various reporters and things like that, he's not the you know you want your quarterback to be, if not a charismatic leader, at least sort of a quiet, strong leader. And For I think sure. he's sort of an enigmatic, distant kind of person. Who, yeah. And so I think that's part of it as well, especially especially if somebody's bringing a bit of baggage with them or perceived baggage. You want the personality to win out on that. And I think that I think that hurts him. So you mentioned PR coaching. I think that's part of it. Is just he hasn't he hasn't exuded the thing that teams are looking for, whether or not, whether or not that's fair to him, it is a step I think he could take. Yeah, for sure. And you don't want a guy, and I I don't know if he would do this. I don't know what it's like to be Colin Kaepernick's teammate, but the last thing you want is a guy who's going to kind of threaten that delicate white black balance within the clubhouse anyway. Um, And if, if Cap would be a guy who would, who would kind of threaten that or make that awkward, then, you know, I can see teams not wanting to to go there on him. But um, it, it's astonishing to me, you know, the number of seemingly good quarterbacks who are who are unemployed at this stage of the game. Um, it, and the number just, of trash quarterbacks who are employed. Yeah. Like, and, just got guys who guys who, you know, like if you're rooting for a team and your starter goes down, you're like, oh, well, our season's over. Right. Like, Kaepernick is a guy who, if he's your backup and your starter goes down, you still have a puncher's chance at at a competitive season. Kind of doesn't matter what team you are exactly. because he because he can be good. He can be bad, but he can be good. Whereas, like if if the Browns trade Brock Osweiler somewhere, like your season's done. So you have Scott Tolsey and your season's done. Like there's well, just you're the Giants and you have Geno Smith. <laughs> yeah, you're I mean Geno Smith, really. <laughs> On a good team to back up Eli Manning, I don't, yeah. I don't get it. You know, I struggle with that. And there's always all this rhetoric about how quarterback is the most important position on the field in the NFL. Yet um, teams make huge investments in their in their number one, but the number two guy is often kind of an afterthought. And it's uh, it, it's fascinating to me. It's astonishing. Yeah, and I, I wonder if some of it as well is there there was a rumor going around that he was demanding number one quarterback money and, mm-hmm. and a starting spot. And I have to imagine that just can't be the case. Because yeah. un- unless unless he's delusional and he's looking around and going, I'm not going to play until I'm offered a guaranteed starting spot. I mean, if he was willing to go compete in camp at New York, Jacksonville, sure. uh, to you know, I don't know the Rams. They have they have Jared Goff, but he was right. garbage last year. He's young. You know the Dolphins, even the Broncos. Like why the Broncos haven't picked him oh, up is absolutely. beyond me. It's the perfect team for him because there are they can run the ball. They have an outstanding defense, and they have trash quarterbacks right now at both starter and backup. Dude, and it's a liberal kind of hipster town anyway. I mean, you're not going to get. It's not like going to Green Bay. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. mean, there are certain markets that would be a better or worse fit for Colin Kaepernick. And I think, I think, you know, Denver yeah, they're is not, one. They're not real interested in making America great again in Denver in quite the same way that they would be in, you know, certain parts of middle America. Oh, absolutely. And I, I don't see them caring that much in Jacksonville, to be honest. And if he had gone to camp with the Jags, he would be, he would be the starter right now. Um, so it's a, it's a fascinating thing. And he may very well have a crazy agent who's setting the you know, kind of setting the narrative on, uh, on starter money and stuff like that, in which case he should, he should reevaluate it. But, uh, pipe, let's stay in this area of intrigue. And I want to talk about for you, as you look at the league, what's the most intriguing bad team? Because I feel like there are some bad teams, some perennial bad teams out there who are doing some really, really interesting things right now. 
And uh, I want to hear from you what what you think your most intriguing bad team is. Yeah, so it was hard for me to you – know, we actually did a little show prep on this because you sent me <laughs> questions like three days ago. Um, it was hard for me to decide which kind of bad team to go for because there's kind of two categories. Mm-hmm. There's uh, like the Browns and the Niners are two very – they're two very, very bad teams on yep. the one hand. They're also really intriguing because it seems like they're going through a smart rebuild process right? Um, where – they're stockpiling picks. They're not overpaying veterans. They are, they're not reaching in the draft for quarterbacks who probably aren't going to be that good. Right. Um, and so, like the Browns, for example, you look at their roster. They have a playoff caliber defense, I think. Mm-hmm. They have a really good offensive line. They have decent running backs. They have a couple playmakers. And they have a gaping hole at quarterback. Right. Now, uh, Deshaun Kaiser might be good. We'll see. Uh, he might develop. They, that there's an intriguing like that's an intriguing team to watch because you can look at a team like that and go they're one player away so do they go after Kirk Cousins in the offseason or something like if Kirk Cousins was on the mm-hmm. Browns I think they're a playoff contender I think they're a playoff contender but and this is sort of showing my hand for the next question but I think Kirk Cousins is one of the most boring guys in the league you know what oh, I mean? I, I do too. I just, I'm just thinking like in terms of roster construction. Though. Yeah. In terms of like serviceability at that position. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Kirk Cousins ceiling is what, like 13th best quarterback in the yeah. NFL or something I mean, like seen, that. You've seen the best that you're going to get yeah. from Kirk Cousins. And yeah. that was with a coach who's no longer there. Who's now coaching in, uh, who's now coaching in San Francisco yep. and, and San Fran's a year or two behind the Browns on this. Cause they had to, re, you know, kind of, they had an old team, a bunch of retirements. Phenomenal then, draft though. Yes. Phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal draft. And, and kind of reloading that defense. Yep. But so there's, there's that kind of bad team, but then the other kind of bad team is teams that were like just sort of middling bad teams. Sure. Like for, for a couple of years, the Eagles have not been very good. Right. And Tennessee has been mediocre to poor for quite a while. A lot of like seven and nine seasons. Yep. Both of those teams are intriguing to me. Now, Tennessee, I'm weighted towards because I have to watch them every Sunday living sure. in Nashville. I really want them to be good because I don't want to watch garbage football anymore. Absolutely. Um, the Eagles, it all rides on Carson Wentz because mm-hmm. I think I think they have a really, really good roster um, if, Wentz, if Wentz develops. And, you know, they, they could win that division this year because it's not a very strong division. It's a, it's a mediocre division. You know, Dallas is without uh, – Dallas's defense is really bad. Yep. Dak Prescott is – people think he's amazing. I think he's also really unproven. I agree. Um, Elliott's – Ezekiel Elliott's suspended. The Giants, they're the Giants. Eli Manning could lead them to 12 wins or 7 wins. It's really hard to know. The Giants uh, are, to me, a boring good team. Even though oh, they have yeah. some weapons, you know, nice. they just – the, the, the Giants' M.O. seems to be to play very mediocre football through the regular season and hope to sneak into the playoffs and get hot, which they have done. Um, and they're they're still capable of doing that. But um, and, they, and they did a really good job last offseason turning that defense into, I think, one of the top 10 units in the NFL. And then this year they went out and, and got a couple of playmakers on offense. They got an yep. old Brandon Marshall who can still play. And then they yep. drafted uh, Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram, I was going to say Evan something or other. At, uh, One of sort of a, kind of flex tight end. Yeah, that, that, that Jimmy Graham kind of tight end who doesn't block but plays out of that position. Yep. And uh, and so, yeah, they're, they're, they're there. But, I mean, if Carson Wentz is good, the Eagles are probably the best team in that division. Yeah, I agree, man. That division is is up for grabs at this point. To me, I, man. I think Tennessee should win the South. 
I, we should win the South. We absolutely should win the South. But I think as you look at the AFC South, you can make the argument that every team is, you know, sitting in their media market going, we should win the South. You know? <laughs> at, at seven and nine. Because exactly. it's a really bad division. <laughs> it really is. It really, really is. So, you know, much like the AFC or the NFC East, it's um, it's really up for grabs. To me, man, the most interesting bo- uh, bad team is Cleveland. Um, one, they have the Moneyball guy. Uh, and I'm, I'm, yeah, D Podesta. I'm very, very intrigued by that just to see how that kind of approach will work in a football context. They've made some mm-hmm. really interesting moves. Um, the Osweiler move was fascinating just because of how unprecedented it was. I kind of, because of that, I wanted it to work out. Like I wanted them to get the double win of Osweiler being decent, which he is not. Um, but they still got the second round pick and, uh, and that's why they did it. They were like, well, we've, we have to get to a certain salary level. We're not paying anybody. Right. So we, we can absorb a salary. They basically bought a second round pick and they're, they're not talking about moving Osweiler. Yeah. And there's no market for Osweiler is going to be a problem, (laughs) but I say there's no market for Osweiler, but you know, he'll get get traded before Kaepernick gets signed. I agree. I agree. Somebody's going to trade for Osweiler to bring him in to be kind of the, you know, the the high-end backup slash potential starter, maybe. Um, and he's just one of those guys with a name and a pedigree who's going to get several lives in the league. And uh, you do see that with certain guys, and you don't see it with other guys, and it kind of makes no sense. But uh, I agree. I think he'll get traded before uh, Cap gets signed. But look who you have on the Browns. you got Miles Garrett, uh, Jab- Jabril Peppers, which I don't know if you've seen him in the preseason pipe. Uh, he's kind of a Swiss Army knife at safety out of Michigan, but uh, he could play a little linebacker. He can return kicks. Uh, he could be a nickel corner. He could be a traditional safety. Um, this is a guy, he plays a little offense. He's been sensational uh, for Cleveland in the preseason, and he's going to be really, really interesting to watch. Uh, they got David Njoku, the athletic tight end out of Miami. Um, this is a team that could very well be very bad this year. But I think they'll be a lot of fun to watch because they have a lot of fun players to watch. And it looks like they're going somewhere. Um, On the flip side of that, and I'm interested to get your take on this team, uh, what do you make of Buffalo? Uh, Buffalo is a team that seems to be just jettisoning its its stars, like trading away all of its big names, all of its star players, also stockpiling picks a la Cleveland and a la San Francisco. But um, it could be a really... They made really? a GM switch right around uh, right around draft time, didn't they? Didn't they fire their GM like right before or right after the draft? They fired their GM right after the draft, which is yeah. really, really curious. It's a weird time. And and then they lost their, I think they lost a coach to, um, where did he go? Uh, San Diego, maybe? Offensive coordinator there went to San Diego to, I to so. coach, I think. And so he was he was the guy who kind of turned them into this very effective running team last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, really smart guy yep. uh, offensively. Um, Buffalo is, it, they're, that, they're in that in-between where they, they either need to go the route of the Niners, Browns, and and uh, get rid of their old guys, trade their assets. I mean, so they already did with uh, with Sammy Watkins. Yeah, which I agree with, by the way. Like, I like the Sammy Watkins trade. Well, because Watkins, Watkins is still living on potential, and he's been in the league for five years. You exactly. know, he's, exactly. he's he plays eight games a year. He makes four plays a year, <laughs> and, and yep. he's still— and and he's still living on the fact that they traded a ton to get him, which was a dumb move because trading that much for a wide receiver not named Julio Jones is generally a terrible idea. Exactly. Um, but so I think I don't think 
They also need to decide what they're doing with Tyrod Taylor because he's probably their most valuable player right now. Mm-hmm. Um, him or LaShawn McCoy. Uh, because if they want to build around Taylor, they're getting to the point where they're going to have to pay him a lot of money, um, which makes rebuilding harder. If they get rid of him, then they really are stripped down because they don't have any even functional quarterbacks. Exactly. Um, and- so that's, they're, they're kind of, they're, they the next off season will determine their future. Are they gonna are they gonna jettison those guys, or are they gonna build around Tyrod and and then a couple key defensive linemen that they have? Yeah, they're kind of in the same bind that the Redskins are in with Kirk Cousins. It's like yeah. you're not real excited about Tyrod Taylor, but yeah, if you get rid of him, what are your other options? And um, you know, it's a it's an it's an interesting thing to keep an eye on there in Buffalo with. Yeah, I think Shady McCoy you hang on to, but Shady McCoy, not a kid anymore. Um, you could move him while he still has some value. Um, they could they could do a total reset a la the Jets. It's hard um, to trade a running back, though, because, I mean, as it, you know, the, the a lot of the top running backs in the league now were second and third round picks. There's just sort of this sure. idea that you can find running backs. Mm-hmm. So to trade a highly paid guy like McCoy, what right. are you going to get like a third round pick and maybe some depth at like linebacker or something? Yeah. And the interesting thing about McCoy is that he's not a fit for everybody's system. You know, McCoy is kind of an acquired taste in terms of mm-hmm. if you run a, if you try to play a certain smash mouth kind of football, like he wouldn't be a good fit for us in Tennessee. Um, he's just the wrong kind of runner. He's a lateral guy. Um, and, and for a lot of teams in the league, he wouldn't be a great fit. So there may not be great for whatever team signs Kaepernick. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That would be interesting. That would be very interesting. Pipe, let's, uh, let's shift gears here and talk about the most boring good team. We kind of touched on this a little bit in our, uh, in our talk about the intriguing bad teams. But as you look at the, the landscape of the league, um, it seems like there have been a lot of teams who have been good for a while or on the cusp of, of being good for a while. Um, what's the most boring example of that kind of team for you? Well, I suspect, I think I can hear some of our listeners screaming, New England, New England, New England, and I'll just like to tell them that they're wrong. They're New so England, wrong. That team New is England so perpetually is one of the most interesting teams in the league because it's a Absolutely. different team every year. Yeah, because of what they do with their roster. It's I mean, a different team every game. You never know if you're going to see Brady throw 65 passes or if they're going to run down somebody's throat and, you know, you know, rush for four touchdowns. That's right. They, and they have Gronk, who's perpetually interesting as well. Yeah. Um, who apparently I, stopped partying and is like taking care of his body now, which is crazy. <laughs> I know. Imagine if he can get better because he decides to try. This is crazy. It is. Um, I think the most boring good teams I, that I had two choices. The first was Carolina and mm-hmm. the second is the Giants. I think. Let's talk Carolina for a minute. I think Carolina is like from a technical football standpoint, they're just, they're good. Cam Newton is yeah. good. Their defense is solid. They, you know, they've got Keekley, they've got Thomas Davis, they've got, um, you know, they, they're, they're a good offensive team, but just aesthetically, mm. they're a boring team to watch mm. and they have ugly uniforms too. I hate um, their uniforms. They're just, they're just like, you, you watch them and you, you go, yeah, they win, but like, they don't have any playmakers. Mm-hmm. There's no, I don't, I don't, there's, they're just not an interesting team. They are, um, and the thing is, they don't even run a system that's intriguing. Like in college football, if a, te- if a team runs the triple option, it's mm-hmm. monotonous. Right. But it's always fascinating. Oh, for sure. I try to watch Georgia Tech at least yes. a couple times a year just because I enjoy watching that thing happen. 
and and but but like their their system is not it's not even that it's just sort of it's like ground and pound and Newton has a cannon for an arm but their receivers are boring yeah and so they're just I just don't like watching them so that's as much of an aesthetic thing as anything yeah they've got a bunch of huge kind of intriguing receivers who can't really separate at this point um, yeah. Kelvin Benjamin I think could be a star but. But yeah, you haven't really seen it. You know, they're, they're allegedly exciting. Now, a guy that I've seen in, in preseason in Carolina, uh, who I think is going to add some sizzle to their offense is Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen him, you know, much in the preseason, but you talk about a little dude who can run between the tackles. I think he's going to give them a dimension. They, they have. They've just kind of plotted the last several years behind Newton, behind Jonathan Stewart. Yeah, since, uh, since Steve Smith left, they haven't had anybody who's like, who makes you kind of like raise your eyebrows when you watch like, Oh man, that guy, look at the play he just made. He just, you know, he broke somebody's ankles. He, they're just like, it's like, it's a series of seven yard plays. Yeah. I think McCaffrey could be, he could be their most interesting receiver this year, to be honest. Oh yeah. Uh, I think they're going to do all manner of things with him out of the slot. He's smart. He can learn multiple positions. Um, He's going to run the ball really well inside. Uh, I think he's a nice fit for them, and he could make them a little bit less boring. But yeah, that's one that that's one that I totally agree with. And uh, the other one, yeah. So the other one was the Giants, and you called them a boring, good team, and I it, that pegs it. Like they're just they have Odell Beckham, who is one of the most exciting players in the league, and it yeah. still doesn't make up for the Eli factor. Like Eli's boring. They they haven't had a good running game since Tiki Barber left. <laughs> yeah, um, they're just. And and like their defense is like since since the Strahan since the Strahan years like their defense stopped being sort of fierce they're just solid right. like everything about them is solid and solid teams are boring yeah agreed agreed pipe let me ask you this how do you feel about Odell Beckham Jr. in general the reason I ask this is that and I, and I hate to admit this on the air when that DB went low on him the other night in the in the Monday night game against Cleveland and he got hurt. I was I had a little like moment of giddiness. You know what I mean? I was just a little bit glad. Um because when I was a player, I feel like he was the kind of guy I would have like taken a cheap shot at. You know what I mean? I just don't like him. And I wondered how you feel about him. Yeah, I think I don't have a problem with ego. You know, yeah. really good players. Like so my the the most fun player for me growing up was Randy Moss. So he played for the Vikings from 98 until the kind of the mid 2000s and probably top two or three receivers of all time. And he had an ego and he had a mouth. Mm -hmm. But I feel like maybe it was because it was pre-social media. It was all on the field stuff. And he wasn't he wasn't picking fights with people. It was much more sort of showmanship, you know, like when he fake mooned the Green Bay crowd, which goes down as one of my favorite moments and and uh i think it was money in our sunday night football history that was classic um and uh but beckham is he seems he seems to think of himself he he acts as if he is special you know yeah. so the way that he picks fights with opposing opposing players the way he parties and all these things and none of it affects his play on the field as far as i can tell he's spectacular but he just, yeah, he just doesn't seem, he's just not a very likable person. Like Moss was sort of likably arrogant, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, Beckham just seems kind of like a tool. Yeah, agreed, man, agreed. For me, my most boring teams, and we could debate even the quality of these teams. One of them we've mentioned before, uh, it's an NFC East team, the Redskins. I feel like this is a, they're kind of the NFC version of the Bengals in that they're seven and nine or nine and seven every year. And, yeah. you know, everyone's, 
uh, everyone gushes about their potential, but you know, year after year, they end up seven and nine or nine and seven. And there's just not for me a whole lot to get excited about with that team. Um, the other one, and I hate to say this is the Colts, um, Andrew Luck, you know, huge, big ticket quarterback, um, transcendent talent yet. They've never stopped anyone. Um, they haven't run the ball at all since Andrew Luck has been there. And it seems like the same old story year after year with the Colts. And you would like to see some kind of paradigm shift in thinking that's going to allow this team to keep that kid in one piece. Um, I really- think I think this last offseason was when they made the shift, probably because they fired their old GM, who right. on his way out said he'd never made a mistake. So real good sign that he needed to go. Yeah. Um, but they did it a year after Luck got destroyed and had a serious shoulder injury. Exactly, exactly. And it may be too little too late. And I wrote an essay once comparing Andrew Luck to Archie Manning, uh, Peyton and Eli's dad, who was this kind of huge, big-armed, fast, athletic, transcendent talent coming out of Ole Miss. And he was just always stuck on teams with no offensive line. And as a result, he just got killed. And I kind of see that as the career arc for Andrew Luck. And I hate it, but... I think he's always going to be one of these guys about whom we say, you know, what if, what if he had gone somewhere else and what if he had had, you know, this or that around him. And and there's a team that has habitually drafted wide receivers that haven't panned out. Um, You've got, it's kind of the opposite of the Carolina problem in Indianapolis in that you have a bunch of little tiny guys who all do the same things and, you know, but there's no one target that really scares you. And, yeah, if, uh, if they could trade like Philip Dorsett for uh, who's the guy that that Carolina took out of Michigan two years? Yeah, the ago, Michigan right? guy, the huge, the huge yeah. Michigan guy J- with the tight end. Somebody, uh, yeah. that guy. Like if they made that swap, both teams would immediately be like twelve percent better. That's true, and they would be twelve percent more interesting to watch. And yes. I wish, I wish that would happen for uh, for only that reason. Pipe, let's talk about this. What's one NFL rule you wish you could change? So the league has done a lot in recent years in terms of player safety. Um, they're kind of always tinkering with replay and, and that sort of thing. What's, what's one rule as you look at the league that you wish you could either do away with or change? I wish players would stop getting suspe- suspended for smoking weed. Interesting, man. Talk about that. That's so fascinating. I, I just read fir- a book about this, actually. The, the, first, the first bunch of uh, the things that crossed my mind when, when I saw this one was like the celebration penalties because I hate the 15-yard penalties for, for you know, organized celebrations and stuff. I'm like, just let them, let them dance. Let them have fun. Let them do their campfire with the football, whatever it is. <laughs> but, uh, but the fact that guys get suspended four and eight games and for a full season for weed, mm-hmm. but – a guy can whoop his wife mm. and get suspended for one game. Right. Is is ridiculous. And weed is not a performance enhancer. Right. You know, I you never hear about a guy getting suspended for any form of steroids or anything like that. Occasionally it's like there's a performance enhancer that because they, they took something over the counter and they didn't read what was in it, but that's really rare. Right. Right. Because I don't think the NFL cares. I think they'd rather have a bunch of juiced up steroid, you know, like roid heads than they would. Because it makes the product better, you know. Yeah. At the exactly. end of the day, it makes I mean, the product this is, more this is exciting the, to watch. Our gladiator ring. We want guys who are just juiced. But we, like, it, A, these guys, a bunch of these guys smoke weed in the off season. They smoke weed all the time. It's legal in parts of the country. It's only becoming yep. more legal. It is a, it's just 
it, it, it has minimal effect on the game. And yet it takes away from the game when guys like Josh Gordon are suspended for weed. Now, I granted he had some other issues too, but mm-hmm. like that, it's, that's the biggest one for me. Like when, when Laramie Tunsil drops from a top three pick to a mid first round pick because there was a video of him smoking weed, uh-huh. like that's, <laughs> that's stupid. Right. 12 teams just got worse because they passed on a guy who's going to be a 10-year starter at left tackle. For sure. Absolutely. So that's that's the rule that I wish they would change. I mean, I I think as long as it's illegal there has to be consequences, but their their hard and fast drug policy is just asinine. Yeah, it's fascinating. There are some guys, there are a couple of guys, ex-players who are doing some really really interesting writing on weed as you know, as, as pain management yeah. and just kind of that culture. But supposedly it really helps with concussion syndrome uh, symptoms. That's exactly what I'm reading. Yeah, Nate Jackson is one of these guys. He played, he was a kind of a backup tight end in Denver for several years and a good, good writer. He's actually got two um, kind of NFL related memoirs out and they're they're both terrific reads. And, and the second one, especially, he really uh, kind of takes a deep dive into into all that stuff. But I'm not saying for the record, uh, I'm not advocating for that. I'm not saying it's it's necessarily a good thing, but I do think it's interesting that you that you mentioned that as your rule change. Um, I thought you would go with something on the field, but uh, that one's I mean, that one's fascinating. There's plenty of things that I would love to change about the product on the field. I just feel like those are directional things. You know, like sure. player safety as a direction has completely changed the game. Yeah, and I kind of wish we could we could change a lot of that, but it's not one rule. It's not targeting. It's not quarterback protection. It's not the helmet to helmet. I hate the helmet to helmet calls because. Yeah. Because it's so subjective. Did yep. was it targeting and blah blah blah? I don't like any of that. But that's a whole category of things that I wish they could they could either decide we are you know we're com- we're going all in on this, which would right. make it not tackle football anymore, right? Or players know what they're signing up for, and some guys are just going to get their heads knocked off. Yeah, the one that I would change pipe, and and it's interesting that you say that is the helmet to helmet rule, um, and I, I think. What we're talking here is more philosophy than even, you know, game flow or subjectivity of the calls, all of which I agree with. But, you know, at the end of the day, football is a vicious, nasty, hard, dangerous game. And the helmet to helmet rule, like you said, it's so subjective. It's so hard as a player moving at full speed, even with the best of intentions. um, It's hard to keep your head from colliding with another dude's head on a football field. Yeah. And and and, it, and even perfect technique doesn't help because, you know, it's like head to the side, lean right. with your shoulder. But if that guy goes, if he ducks when you're shooting for his sternum, right. you're now helmet to helmet with him. It just happens. Right. And all of this is happening in a split second and you can't necessarily control it. And yeah, what's more, I think, you know, the more I read about this stuff, the more I realize that it's the it's the day to day slog, all the hits that you take in practice you know, for linemen, all the, you know, all the reps, you know, rep after rep, you're just going helmet to helmet with a guy on the line of scrimmage. And it's that kind of abuse, I think, that's that's giving guys the longer term problems, even more than the kind of spectacular helmet to helmet hits that you see on Sunday afternoon in a game situation. So um, the helmet to helmet rule to me, I think, is more it's more about PR than it is about actual player safety. And, you know, it's a it's a thing where you hate to see a team, you hate to see a defensive team get screwed on that rule um, when you could probably call, you know, you could call it every play, you could not call it every play. 
Uh, it's very, very subjective. So, and the other problem is the the more they make rules like this, the more it puts the spotlight on the refs. Oh yeah, because they're they're constantly they they have to judge more and more and more. Like judging a false start is not that difficult, right? Um, out of bounds, inbounds, completed right. passes are tricky to to judge, but they generally do a good job with that. Although the more they try to regulate that, the worse it gets. Right. So people complain about how bad the refs are. I think the refs are as good as they've ever been. They've just been given twice as many rules to enforce, half of which don't make any sense and are complete judgment calls. Absolutely. And the game suffers, the product suffers as a result because you and I grew up in an era in which the game telecast was not all about the referees. Mm -hmm. And I think our kids are growing up in an era in which you know, disputing calls and arguing about calls and nitpicking about calls, that's just part and parcel with watching an NFL game. And I yeah, think they have a referee on the broadcast team. So they're like, well, this is a tricky call. Let's go to Mike Pereira in our right. studio. Like nobody wants to hear from Mike Pereira. Nobody yeah, that's cares. The thing that I hate so much uh, among other things, but, but yeah, I, I would do away with that as well. Um, nobody wants to hear from Mike Pereira. I mean, it takes away from the, the grandeur and the excitement of a fast, strong, fascinating game, you know, uh, to make it about the referees, to me, just seems to put the spotlight on, you know, the least interesting part of the product. And I hate to see them do that. Um, well, Pipe, let's talk about some superlatives. Uh, as you look at the season, let's uh, let's do Super Bowl matchups now. Um, and then we'll talk offensive and defensive players of the year. But who do you see uh, after all the dust settles in the Super Bowl? Um, well, given my high praise earlier, I from the AFC, I— I think the Patriots are the runaway favorite. They're sure. just I look at the AFC and I'm like, I mean, maybe the Steelers can can uh-huh. uh can compete with them because if everyone is healthy on that team, their yeah. offense is spectacular. Uh but I think the Patriots are the favorite. The NFC is tricky because I feel like there's a whole bunch of teams who are gonna win 10, 11 games. There's um, a whole bunch maybe, of boring teams in the NFC. Yeah. I mean there's 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 like Seattle and Green Bay, for example, who have spectacular portions of their team and then real notable weaknesses. So like Green Bay has Aaron Rodgers. And if you have Aaron Rodgers, you might win 12 games and go to the Super Bowl. Um, But, you know, can your defense stop anybody? Can you run the ball? Those have been issues for them. Uh, We talked about the Giants. I think they, I could see them in the Super Bowl. Seattle could be, you know, it could be a good, the Vikings are kind of a sleeper team, depending on how good their defense is. And if their offensive line can hold up, mm-hmm. um, I could see them being a 10, 12 win team. How, but, how sold are you at this point on the quarterback position for the Vikings? I mean, that's one that we kind of debated last year and, and we talked about the Sam Bradford thing a yeah. lot, but like, where are you at on that now? And what are you hearing out of, out of Vikings camp on him? Well, I mean, Everything, you know, it's it's hard to judge because the people who write, you, usually the local reporters are spinning positive stories. They're sure. sort of ginning up interest. So the things that I've heard are that Bradford looks really good. He's more comfortable in the system, you know, because it's his mm-hmm. second year with this coordinator, which for him is pretty rare. He seems to rotate through coordinators like one, once a year. Um, he's an incredibly accurate passer. I think the big thing for him is can he get the ball downfield? Um right. And a lot of that has to do with the offensive line. So I think if they have a mediocre or better offensive line, so middle of the pack offensive line or better, he's going to be a top third in the NFL quarterback, mm-hmm. somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, so not you know not one of the elite guys, but one of those guys who's he can win a game for you, but you don't want to put it on his shoulders. Sure, and he's not going to lose many because he just doesn't make a lot of bad decisions. So am I sold on him? 
Uh, not like, okay, two minutes left in the game, let's give the ball to Bradford. But I think he can be the quarterback for a 12-win team. Yeah, that's true, man. And I'm sold on the philosophy of building of building a team that can exist without an elite quarterback. Yeah. And, you know, that's a model that I think we saw it more when we were growing up than we see it now. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested in seeing teams that are able to do that. And, and Denver has done it, you yeah. know, quite frankly, they did it the year that Peyton Manning quarterbacked them to the, to the Super Bowl, quote unquote, quote unquote. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, that was a, that was weekend at Bernie's Peyton Manning. Yeah. That wasn't the real Peyton Manning. And, and, and yet they put enough around him to get it done. And he was not the show. Um, interesting for me, pipe. Um, I love the Patriots. I love Bill Belichick. Um, but I, I took it in a little bit different direction. I kind of took the, the positive view of the Steelers, um, where if they can stay healthy, I think they have, um, some really freaky, really interesting offensive weapons. Oh yeah. Guys that can do unique things. They have a good offensive line as well. Um, defensively, they're really nasty. They can, they can get after the quarterback. They can get after you. Um, if, if they stay healthy, I think that's a really interesting team. Um, and, and I, I kind of chose the Packers as well, just kind of by default, you know, um, it's a team with Aaron Rodgers. Um, again, health is a, is an issue for green Bay, but if they're able to stay healthy, I think they'll be there, but I'm not that much more sold on the Packers than I are some of those other teams that, than I am some of those other teams that you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if it, if in the playoffs you have, a healthy, healthy Green Bay, Minnesota Giants in Seattle. Yeah. It's a total toss up. I think yeah. Seattle, if, if everyone is healthy, I think Seattle might be the best team out of that bunch because their defense is so good. Yep. Um, but their offensive line is not good. Right. Um, I think Green Bay has the highest potential in terms of offense. And I think the Giants and the Vikings are sort of similar in that they will have really solid defenses and offenses that can score enough. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Pipe, let's talk about individuals. Let's talk about uh, your offensive player of the year. Um, who do you see excelling enough to kind of distinguish himself in in that way? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought about some of those Steelers guys because, um, because that offense, if Roethlisberger, Brown, Bell, Martavius Bryant are all healthy. I think those guys have all been on the field together for maybe one game ever. I think exactly. I read that, I read that the other day. So, exactly. um, so I think I think if he's healthy, um, if he's healthy, I think uh, I think Bell is the guy. But I I think I'm going to go with either David Johnson or Drew Brees. Ooh, David Johnson, interesting. Yeah. So David Johnson from the Cardinals because he is he's the same kind of player except that they don't have as many playmakers on that offense, which right. means he's going to get the ball between receptions and running probably 23, 25 times a game. You know, yeah. catch catch five six passes, run the ball eighteen to twenty times. Um, he's he's an incredible guy to watch too. He's because he really he's is. like he's like six two and two thirty. But he's so explosive and quick. Yeah. Um, and then Breeze, because they have a pretty loaded offense. They've got a stronger running game now. And when he can, when he can play off the play action, mm-hmm. he's, he's insane. And he throws for 5,000 yards every year. And um, I think the only thing that would hold him down is the fact that it's really hard to see them winning more than about eight games. Yeah, that's um, right. I was going to say, he's kind of put up those freakish numbers quietly the last few years to the degree that you can quietly put up 5,000 yards. It's also hard to stand out as a quarterback because in a league with Rodgers and Brady and Roethlisberger 
And I mean, Luck's injured, but these guys who are who are winning a lot, throwing for five thousand yards and thirty five touchdowns just doesn't quite stand out as much. But I right. So he's he's sort of a sleeper, but I think I'll go with David Johnson. Man, I'm going to go with the deep, deep sleeper on this one, just because I wanted to throw a new name out there, and I think we're we're about due pipe in the league for a, a, a sort of changing of the guard at quarterback. You know, uh-huh. your your Tom Brady's, your Drew Brees's, your Ben Roethlisberger's, they're all going to kind of age out of the system at the same time. And you know, I've kind of been on the lookout for who's going to be the next guy and who's who. Who's going to be the next kind of big three or four or five NFL quarterback? There's not a ton. There's not a ton lined up. There's not. But one guy that I'm really intrigued by is Carson Wentz. Um, Hmm. He did really interesting things last year as a rookie. I think he was much more polished than people thought he would be coming out of uh, a 1AA program. Um, But it was a 1AA program where they ran a pro-style offense. Uh, Philly really was intentional about giving him some weapons this offseason. He's got Torrey Smith. He's got Alshon Jeffrey. Um, I, mean, I think Jeffrey's Carson, a great pickup for that team because he's great. a he's a bailout guy for a quarterback because he's not he's not super fast, but you get the ball within four yards of him and it's his catch. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. He can test for footballs and quarterbacks love him. Quarterbacks love guys like that. So I could see Carson Wentz doing some really interesting things. And I could see the the quarterback discussion kind of changing a whole lot after this year. And you've kind of got guys like Matt Ryan who aren't young, but they aren't old, who are kind of going to be the bridge between the two generations. But I would love to see great seasons out of out of Wentz, out of Mariota, out of the kid from Tampa Bay, Jameis Winston, um, just to breathe some life into that yeah. position. Um, you know, Philip Rivers is going to go away after a yeah. year or two. And, you know, these are all great players, but we're either going to have a dearth of good quarterbacking in the league or some of these names that I just mentioned are going to rise up and it's, it's going to be really fun to watch in a few years. Yeah. And I mean, the, I think, uh, I think Winston is an interesting name for something like offensive player of the year, because they've got some serious weapons on that team too. And the, you know, potential playoff team. Yep. And uh, third year in the league and he's, he's done well his first two years. Yeah. He's improved. Everything I've heard is that he's, you know, he's all quarterback, you know, so in terms of work ethic and being studious and taking it seriously. And I know he was kind of a, he had a reputation coming out of college, but you haven't seen any of that in the pros. I mean, he, he could put up some monster numbers this year. I tell you, man, it's been interesting. I don't know if you've watched Hard Knocks at all, but watching him in Hard Knocks, it gave, it gave me at least a completely different impression of what kind of a kid he was. Because you're right. Like, he's very studious, all business, pro's pro, you know, still kind of fun-loving and has a little bit of life in front of the camera and all that. But when push comes to shove, you know, the kid is a, the kid's a pro. And I don't know if that's a, a maturity curve that was just very steep over the last couple of years or if he's really always been that way. But um, I think he's a guy that could make some noise. And, and boy, you talk about an offense with weapons. We haven't talked about Tampa. Yeah. Tampa, to me, is a really interesting team. Uh, they added Deshaun Jackson, a guy who can kind of take the lid off uh, in terms of, of deep speed. Mike Evans is, is he could be the best receiver in the league, you know. Um, yeah, I think, he, I think he could have a huge breakout this year. A couple of good tight ends, Cameron Braid, O.J. Howard. Um, you know, Doug Martin, if he keeps his nose clean, is a really interesting running back. So that's a that's a team that can make some noise, man. And we've been saying that for years, not years, but a couple of years at least with Tampa. But um, I think they're finally starting to put the pieces together down there and, and, you know, they could do some interesting things. What do you think Atlanta does this year? So obviously last year, worst ending to a season imaginable yeah. for them. 
you know, let's just throw out 28 to three just to give some people the shakes. <laughs> um, what, I mean, do, do they come back as strong? Do they fall flat because the Super Bowl loss kind of deflates them? What What does Atlanta do this year? Yeah, that's a great question. And I do think per— Oh, and they lost their, off- and they lost their offensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, per just kind of the, the psychology of these things, I would be hard-pressed to say that they're going to make a full recovery from that. I just think it's hard. You know, it's hard to be that close and to blow it and to come back with the same amount of, like— you know, vim and vigor and aggressiveness that you had the previous year. So Matt Ryan is a guy too that, and people are going to disagree with this. I've never gotten excited about him. Um, And and it's not any specific thing with him or his game, but I just see him as a guy who's always going to get close and never quite going to make it. It's like Um, Kirk Cousins, slightly better older brother. He's like a better Kirk Cousins. He truly is. He's like a, a more, a more intriguing Kirk Cousins, the kind of Kirk Cousins that you pay a lot of money to. And and it and it makes sense to do that, but at the end of the day, you're still not quite getting it done. Um, so yeah, I I don't think Atlanta gets back, man. I don't think they get as close. Um, I don't know exactly how it's going to look for them. I'm trying to think. I would put them in the same. I mean, so I, 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 Atlanta fans who've been listening are probably really mad that I didn't list them with the Green Bay, Seattle, New York, and definitely that I didn't list them with Minnesota because they'd be like they're so much better in Minnesota. Right. If I, I think they are in that class. Yep. And I think uh, I think the, the the thing that will keep them in that class is I think their defense is improving. Yeah. You know, they've got better pass rushers and better defensive backs than they have in recent years. They're young and fast on defense. And that's the kind of thing that doesn't just go away. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if their offense declines a little bit, I think they're uh, I think they'll, they'll still be they're still the class of that division. So here's an interesting psychology thing. So if you're Atlanta, you've kind of put your like cosmic eggs in the basket of Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. So you perceive yourself as a team that airs it out with a, a quote-unquote elite quarterback and a legitimately elite receiver. However, Atlanta is a team that can run the football, and they can they can hurt you in multiple ways running the football. They can get you with Devontae Freeman. They can get you with a kid from IU who was the starter until he got hurt, and then Devontae Te- Freeman. Tevin Coleman. Tevin Coleman. If they had run the ball even a little bit, in the last 30 minutes of last year's Super Bowl, they would be Super Bowl champs. Um, I wonder if Atlanta doesn't need a little bit of an identity change in terms of how they perceive themselves. You know what I mean? Um, um, what, and, but they also just paid good money to Freeman. They just re-signed they Freeman to a decent contract, making him one of the higher-paid running backs. Which, if and, I'm Atlanta, that encourages me. Yeah, you know, and, I'm a Falcons and, fan. I think that's a good so thing. And they've invested in their offensive line, and they've invested in, uh, in their defense. And so I think, I think their head coach... You know, because he's off the Seattle tree, so I right. think he is looking more at that—not um, the air it out offense, but the the grind the other team into you know into the ground offense a little bit more with with strategic passing. Right. Um, but I think the offensive coordinator they had last year, whose name I am blanking on, is it? Oh, Kyle, Kyle Shanahan. Shanahan. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think Shanahan was a little bit more pass happy because he's a quarterback guy. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do this year because they they have Steve Sarkeesian now who was he coached with Steve Carroll at USC back in the day. He's been the head coach in college, had some personal off-the-field issues with alcoholism, but is known to be a really creative offensive guy. It'll be interesting to see what he does. Yeah, Shanahan is pass-happy, but I think he's always done his best work when he's built the offense around a strong run game and play action. Mm -hmm. Um, He did his best work in Washington when that was the case. Robert Griffin III looked like 
a legitimate superstar that season. Um, yeah, I think it's going to take just a little paradigm shift to get Atlanta back on the right track. Uh, Pipe, what about defense? Who do you see standing out defensively this year? Um, I think I mean, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of players. I think um, the way that the league has gone, I feel like pass rushers are just sort of the only guys who matter on defense. Uh, at least, at least yeah. like in, in awards voting, I think other yeah. players are very important, but in terms of awards voting, it's all, it's all Von Miller. It's all JJ Watts. Uh, I think mm-hmm. Khalil Mack is the guy who I would, I mean, he's the guy who I would be like, and he's going to start winning awards this year. Um, yeah. I think Von Miller is a better player, but I think the way that, uh, I think Khalil Mack is the only guy who can make Oakland a competitive defense. And I think Oakland has the offensive talent to be a playoff team. So, um, so I think, you know, he could be an 18 to 20 sack guy easily. Right. The other, the other guy is Earl Thomas, because I think what we saw at the end of last year, and I think it's going to carry over into this year is that Earl Thomas is, he's the oil that makes the Seattle defense engine run smoothly. So you take him off the field and they're an okay defense. You put him on the field and they're one of the top two or three defenses. And he, you know, he's a free safety, so he can't, he can't be involved in every play, but he just changes the shape of the field. Indeed, indeed, man. Interesting. I, I'm i with you in that I would like to see – I'd like to see the focus taken off pass rushers a little bit because I think at the end of the day, pass rushers are, are overvalued. Um, I mean, look how bad – look how bad Houston has been over the last few years, even though they've had J.J. Watt, who is supposedly, you know, the greatest player. He's a multiple-time defensive player of the year. Exactly. And 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 yet, you know, and is he a great player? Of course. You know, now they have Watt, they have Jadavion Clowney. Um, you know, it, it should be raining sacks in Houston. But it'll be interesting to see some of the best defenses in history, Pipe, didn't get a lot of sacks. Look at New England. New England schemes pressure. They didn't have any good pass rushers last year, and they still managed to they still managed to get some pressure on the quarterback. They scheme pressure. So pass rusher, it's almost like you know, it's almost like building your team around a quarterback. You know, you can dump a lot of money on one of these guys who's gonna get you, you know, fifteen sacks a season. Uh, but at the end of the day, how much better does that make you? You know, and how how quality are those sacks? When do they come? Do they really end drives? Um, you know, for me, the most intriguing defensive players out there right now are safeties. Um, mm-hmm. I really like the safety position. Um, the guy that I'm excited about is Sean Davis from the Steelers. Um, and granted, full disclosure, I'm friends with his agent. So um, I hear more about Sean Davis than most people. But uh, he was the Steelers <laughs> you, defensive. You might have introduced our listeners to Sean Davis. I might have. But this is a guy to keep an eye on. This is a guy to keep an eye on because, um, you know, the Steelers obviously have a rich history at that position. And um, I think a guy like that on that defense that that could be emerging, you know, if some of the if some of the guys that they've invested in on that side of the football in Pittsburgh end up, you know, being worth the investment. Um, Sean Davis is a guy who's already shown uh, yeah. as a rookie last season what he can do. And he could be kind of a kind of a tone setter, kind of like an Earl Thomas for them. Um, a really nice piece on a really good team. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you bring up safeties because, again, I'm going to keep coming back to the Vikings because they're the team that I pay the most attention to. Vikings yep. have a really good defense. They have a good defensive line. They have two defensive ends, Daniil Hunter and uh, Everson Griffin, who are both you know 10 to 12 sack guys, maybe more. But the guy who I'm terrified of them losing on defense is Harrison Smith. Absolutely. Because he Harrison is, Smith is their, he's their identity guy. 
he you know is their I, Earl Thomas. Like he, Earl Thomas. He's the guy who uh, he he cleans up all the messes. He yep. he is the guy who makes that defense tick. So even if they have a fierce pass rush without him, they're they're just okay. Yeah, I absolutely agree, man. He's a finisher on the back end. He's a you know he's a factor. He's a force in the run game. Uh, he helps you there. Um, just a really interesting guy, you know, and I think because he plays in Minnesota and they haven't been, you know, transcendent as a team, he's kind of flown under the, the, the national radar a little bit, but man, he's a guy who I loved at Notre Dame. You know, I would watch Notre Dame games just because I enjoyed watching him work. He was that good. And, um, yeah, I think it'll be, it'll be interesting because I think as a league, we're about to, we're about to see the pass rusher bubble burst. Um, because of some things that you mentioned, you can scheme your way into it. You don't have to dump a bunch of money on that position. And, um, there are other ways to skin that cat in terms of getting, uh, getting pressure and stopping drives and creating turnovers. So, um, I mean, I, I think, I think transcendent talent is always going to win out. So guys like Watt, Von Miller, Khalil Mack are always going to be guys who are just, just kind of like, like middle linebacker has gone away. Nobody cares sure. about middle linebackers, but guys like Luke Keekley. Yeah still makes that defense tick because he's a transcendent talent. And yeah. so I think, yeah, I just, I think, uh, I think the way that the game has gone with so much quick rhythm passing mm-hmm. and, you know, it's not a lot of like line them up, seven step drop kind of stuff the way it once was. Right. It's going to change to guys who can drop into coverage, who can be versatile. So a lot of like eight sack guys who can drop into coverage, who can make plays and right. then the safeties, cause they're the ones who have to be able to cover tight ends, tackle a running back, take on a guard and cover a wide receiver in that order, you know, just on any given play. Yeah. Those are the guys that to me are the most interesting to watch because they can do all of those things. They're the most multidimensional defensive players that we have now. Um, Pipe, this has been, uh, this has been a pleasure, man. We've been at this for almost an hour, so we should probably, uh, probably land the plane here and uh, we'll get back into our, our usual groove next week with Ronnie and, and some non-sports things, but uh, anything else you want to add on, uh, on the NFL before we sign off? Okay. So you had one other question that you had suggested that we hadn't touched on. And that was uh, what is one story you wish would go away? Oh, that's right, man. I totally, I totally skipped over that one. Not intentionally though. I just didn't. See no, it. I mean, we, 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 we've covered a lot of ground. Obviously anybody yeah. who's still listening really loves football. So they're still <laughs> all in. Um, so I, I did want to hit that one just because I'm, I'm intrigued by what your answer is. And uh, so I, w- I want you to answer that one first and then I'll go. Yeah, I, I think for me, man, and this is a there, there's one guy who's emblematic of this story. But just in general, um, it, it's it's Kirk Cousins and whether or not he'll get paid. I just think for a guy who's like the 13th best quarterback in the league, why this was a story that was trending all offseason is kind of a head scratcher to me. Um, and it, and it, it speaks to, it speaks to a bigger issue, I think with the NFL, which is a oversaturation of the coverage. So, you know, we're clearly in an environment where we're just inventing things to talk about, you know, we're, we're creating stories, we're shoving stories down the throats of people. Um, and they're, they're stories that don't matter and nobody cares. Um, and B just, I mean, just the whole aspect of, all the focus and all the emphasis on off the field stuff. So right now it's Ezekiel Elliott, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the guy, the guy beats up a woman, um, he gets suspended and you know, all you ever, all you're hearing is reaction to that. Um, you know, those are, those are examples of stories 
you know, more the cousins thing, but, but in general, just the off the field stuff that I kind of wish would go away. Um, one thing that I got big into this summer was watching Canadian football on ESPN. Huh. Yeah. And, uh, I know that I'm in the minority in that, but <laughs> it was refreshing in that the game tele, the game telecasts were just manifestly about football. Um, because I think that the, the Canadians knew that nobody really cared about the off the field stories of their players. The salaries are not exorbitant. So, you know, free agency and money and contracts and, and player movement in that context wasn't the big emphasis that it is down here. And as a result, you got a very kind of football pure product. And I just really enjoyed watching that. And I guess it reminded me of a day and age in the NFL when that was more the case. Yeah, I think it, it seems to me like the NFL, you know, it has become and I just I heard somebody the other day describe sports like well, it's, it's just entertainment yeah. And I was like, yes, but it is, it's sport, it's competition. Right. And so when we treat it as entertainment, it means everything becomes a soap opera, which yeah. means Kirk Cousins' contract situation matters when in reality, nobody cares besides Washington fans and maybe the team that signs him when they don't. Yeah. Um, you know, Ezekiel Elliott's off-field issues matter in as much as the people involved, you know, are, are affected. And because he's now suspended for six games, but like it, the story, the ongoing story of it just drags. Cause I don't, I don't know. I just don't think sports should be entertainment to that level where it just absorbs into life. So the story that I would like to see go away (laughs) is very similar to what you just said in that one person is emblematic of it. And that is Roger Goodell. I wish Uh, Roger Goodell would go away. He is the story that I would like to see leave. He, the only thing good about Roger Goodell's tenure as NFL commissioner has been that the owners make billions of dollars, which mm. is exactly why he still has a job. He's literally been bad at everything else. Yeah. He's a, he's a terrible disciplinarian. He's a terrible <laughs> spokesperson. He is just, he's a hack at, at his well, job. And I think he's very good at certain things because he was, he, had, he was a successful lawyer prior. But I think running the league, the one thing he's done is make people who are already rich, richer. Yeah, and I think I think perhaps the worst thing Roger Goodell has done is to make himself the show. Yes. And in no other NFL context in my lifetime has that ever been the case with the commissioner. The commissioner has always kind of been this austere, sort of removed figure who you knew was doing a great job when he wasn't in the news. And Goodell has always been in the news. Um He's always kind of been the show and it's always been about him. And and you're right. It's emblematic of, you know, this kind of off the field emphasis in terms of um, the news cycle and everything else. So I'm, I'm in total agreement on that pipe. Yeah. And I mean, like his, his disciplinarian stuff drives me nuts because he, it's so much about, you know, the image of the league and blah, blah, blah. And then he's just, he's just random in yeah. how he, and how he chooses to suspend people and he makes him, so he passes down a judgment and then it goes to arbitration and he's the arbiter. Like, it's yeah. just, this, this is not like, this is despotism. It's, it's not even, it's not even a fairly run league Yeah, and, and nobody cares because it makes money hand over fist. I do think the bubble is going to burst at some point, but they're also about to give him an extension because the owners are like, well, Hey, he's pumping money into our bank account. So Exactly. That's the story I would like to see go away. No, nah, I'm with you, man. I'm with you 100%. And uh, that's good stuff for sure. So listen, thank you for thank you for that pipe. Uh, I always am up for talking football for an hour. Hopefully our listeners 
those who like sports have enjoyed it as well. And uh, we've wandered to and, for, to and fro throughout the NFL, man, throughout the league. And uh, until next time, Rachel the Held Evans. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Hi, I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And we're from Salty Saints Podcast. We're a theology and apologetics podcast. To find out more, subscribe at lifeaudio.com.